0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another week of Concessions with Jared and me. This week we're covering a film that really made a huge impression on me when I first checked it out, The Wolf House. I wanted to have Jared check this out so we could talk about it because it's one of those films that you can enjoy layer by layer from its stunning visuals all the way down to the historical context around the story being told. Perhaps you'll be able to pick up why I recommended this film in our Skinner, Inc. episode as well. Also, this is one of those films that shows what a bold commitment to a bolder idea coupled with hard work can achieve artistically, which is something that will never cease to impress me. A quick note before diving in, this recording is from before we were officially publishing episodes, so we had been trying out some different formats and different structures when it comes to our discussions. You'll hear some allusions to another film, La Llorona, towards the end as we do some comparing and contrasting. We'd recorded it before Wolf House. However, we will be releasing the La Llorona episode next week, so I felt like it would be cool to keep it in so as a little preview for the following episode. If you've been enjoying what we do so far please feel free to drop a like review and follow on the podcast wherever you do your listening it really helps us out a ton also you can find me on x at dan concedes and jared can be found at threads at jared concessions feel free to give a shout out we'd love to chat uh we would also love to welcome you into our blissful little community because fear not though our embrace is nothing but benevolent As always, thank you so much for spending some time with us, and we hope you enjoy our chat as we discuss 2018's La Casa Lobo, also known in English as The Wolf House. Maria. Maria. Hello everyone, welcome to Concessions. I'm Dan. And I am Jared. And would you like us to take care of you all? Dan. <laughs> no, for like every once in a while, it will make more sense to our listeners down the road that I have like similar to the uh, like Black Phillip and uh, the Live Deliciously thing, I'll pull up that YouTube click where it's just Maria
1: dad yeah uh, an apt comparison uh m- many times throughout this film I would forget what the wolf sounds like and then he appears again Maria. And I, I think I do think of black Philip every single time and I wonder I mean this movie was made or at least it was released about three years after the witch and like with this kind of thing it's like the voiceover must have been one of the last things so i'm wondering if there was actual some some inspiration there Some little cross pollination yeah um, yeah
0: but anyways before we get into that what what you sipping on over there uh,
1: this is uh you can hear the the ice switch just one <laughs> time and i'll refrain from doing this again uh but this is a mai tai this oh, is, this is three different kinds of rum and some pineapple juice and agave and lime juice and a little coconut water. And uh, but it is it is mostly rum. And this is about uh I think this is 30, a 30 ounce glass. So <laughs> if I i promise i'm not an alcoholic this is like a this is way more than i would usually drink in an evening but if i do manage to like finish this over the course of uh this recording i will be a different person by the end of this Well, we are
0: usually we uh a little inside baseball here is usually we record on thursdays but it's Saturdays, so you know we're
1: we're drinking up i don't have work tomorrow and so i'm dangerous yeah in fact tomorrow is father's day and I don't even have to do anything. Well,
0: what a great I've... what a great movie to do talking about the eternal uncle on Father's Day.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate that.
0: But, yeah. A... Uh, oh, you also have opened up one of my uh, bugaboo, cocktail bugaboos. That is a proper Mai Tai that you have there. I thought I hated tiki drinks until I went to an actual tiki bar where they make, like, the point of tiki drinks, they're supposed to fuck you up where at most bars where like, I don't know if you get like the hurricane from Applebee's or something, it's like nine, tenths straight sugar. And then
1: just like a little spritz of uh, rum. Oh yeah. This is certainly the other way around. Well, and that, well, it makes sense because pineapple juice and just simple syrup are, you know, have, have a lower kind of price point than rum, but just from a, quality of the the beverage the taste of the beverage point of view it, it rum doesn't need a whole lot to mask its flavor and yeah, uh it's, pineapple it's juice guy. goes yeah pineapple juice goes a quite a long way and yeah, a, little a little bit of God way, augmenting that uh and then just kind of all the sugar cut with the lime juice yeah this is mostly this is mostly liquor here Yeah, I can't speak from too much authority, but I know that's, like,
0: by design for Tiki drinks, because, like, American Tiki drinks came from World War II vets in the Pacific Theater, so, you know, it was something that, uh, it it needed to work hard and
1: fast. Oh, man, all of the best things came to the Americas after World War II. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, Paul Schaefer, for instance. (laughs)
0: So what I am drinking, actually, because I'm actually, I'm at my uh, parents' place, which is in an undisclosed uh, part of the American South. And I used to live in the South for a while, too. So I picked up a, uh, a beer from a brew that I really love in the South. It's hard to find the West Coast Sweetwater. Have you ever heard of it?
1: No. What, what sort of beer is that? It's, it's
0: out of uh, the Atlanta area. I forget where specifically. So I apologize to uh, the good people at Sweetwater but they basically just do like strangely they do more west coast style beer um but you can only get it in the south and so i am having well you can get it other places but mostly in the south uh, a going coastal ipa with pineapple so we're both enjoying a little pineapple
1: here oh excellent that sounds yummy southern brewery kind of doing their version of uh like a, a seasonal stone ipa that you'd find in san diego in the summer
0: yeah 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 that, that's fair to say So, since it's uh, the last time that we uh, casted, what what you've been up to? What you've seen? What you've watched? What you've been doing that you're interested to bring up?
1: Yeah, I got to say, I haven't watched anything over the last... I haven't watched much over the last couple of weeks. I I saw Across the Spider-Verse, which was Hmm. incredible. And tonight, we're going to talk an awful lot about how much intentionality... uh, Goes into every moment of something that's been animated in a in a unique way, and obviously that movie uh, qualifies there. Pretty pretty amazing, even by the standard that the first film set up. Uh, it's kind of the Empire Strikes Back to the original Star Wars. I would mm-hmm. say it's darker and improves upon its predecessor in just about every way. But also has ends with a just excruciating cliffhanger. Um, It's very, very Empire Strikes Back. I got a group of friends together and we watched The Fellowship of the Ring Ah. that I I hadn't watched in its entirety in probably like three, four years, which is a long time for me to go without watching The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, the movie is now 22 years old and it was, you know, it was shot like 25 years ago and um, still uh, holds up, still, still. Uh, the best movie. Uh, Nothing better has come out since The Lord of the Rings and I'll die on that hill. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure, I don't want to talk at at too much length right now about The Lord of the Rings because I'm sure we'll do that in some official capacity sooner or later, but (laughs) God, God, that that movie is absolutely perfect. Um, And then uh, kind of eagle-eared listeners might notice that my voice is a little bit bit rougher, a little bit um, eagle-eared? did i see yeah do eagles have good hearing or just good eyes i I enjoy the mixed metaphor so uh yeah i don't know i assume they can hear well but what the fuck do i know i know (laughs) owls can hear well owls have gigantic ears but anyway uh you'll notice that my voice is a little bit uh gruffer right now and that's because i went and saw thrice a couple nights ago and uh like any proper full on mid thirties father. I was in the mosh pit the entire time screaming <laughs> with all of the other elder millennials. Um, and yeah, so now my voice is uh, a little little bit fucked up. So if uh, I'm speaking less than I usually do on this podcast, you can thank thrice. And I, I mean that sincerely, sincerely that you probably would want to thank them. Send your, send your letters to Dustin Kendrew
0: actually you have activated two tattoo stories i think i've told you one of them but i'll pull or just for the sake of immortalizing it i'll I'll share the story here well first off my first tattoo is a thrice tattoo which is right here the second uh is from their album beggars uh which is we are beggars all and it has the uh Mm. the album artwork on it um but the the other one is probably the my now least favorite tattoo and it's lord of the rings based where uh, when I got this tattoo, so growing up, reading the books, enjoying the movies, all that fun stuff, Aragorn was always a character I was like most I had most affinity for. And there's the poem in the books that um, that is supposed to like kind of be a prophecy for Aragorn, um, or it's like implied that it's about him. And it has one of the most famous lines in Lord of the Rings, which is "Not all who wander are lost." So one year where I was in my wanderings, I was up in uh, northwestern Washington in Bellingham and I got this tattoo with that phrase and then the colors and uh, like in a related logo of the team that I played for up there. Uh, And this was about a year before every single like Instagram influencer and their cousin started slapping that on uh, hashtags every time they went to like travel abroad to a visa or something. Um, So now (laughs) I have a compass tattoo with not all who wander are lost on my arm and I look like the biggest basic little boy on the planet where i can promise to everyone i got it before it was cool
1: and now now that's on the permanent record
0: <laughs> let's direct to show. know okay um oh so what did i watch slash read whatever uh this week uh watched it was actually a fun surprise i think i texted you about it when i watched it uh jonathan Demi's uh demi's demi's something wild mm-hmm. where sometimes when it comes like if uh my selection of movies will be based on like if there's a film podcast i like and they just did an episode and something i'm like okay i'll check it out and so uh, the podcast Cinematology is one I really like, and they did an episode on that, never heard of the movie, and I'm like, sure, fine, throw it on. I can't say much more about it because it's definitely a film that you want to go in blind other than like, yeah, the the guy who made Silence of the Lambs definitely has a very twisted sense of humor, and so when you give him a rom-com, he's gonna do some uh, very fun things with it. Yeah. Uh, But actually, kind of like you, I have not been watching that much. I've been reading a lot because um, I'm I'm house-sitting for my parents. I don't really know anyone here. So I'm just kind of languishing about all day, uh, which is giving me more time to read. Uh, And uh, The Death of Ivan Ilyich is probably one of the best things I've read in a long time. I mean, it's Leo Tolstoy, so, I mean, he, he is decent at writing or so I hear. But it's actually, Death of Ivan Ilyich is the kind of source material from which uh, Kurosawa made um, Ikiru, which is one of my favorite films as well. Um, So if you've seen Ikiru, if you've seen, uh, oh, what's the new one with uh, Living? Yeah, 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 that's also based on Ikiru, it's just based on Death of Ivan Ilyich Um, If you like those, it's like a I'd say, and if you're even ever interested in like, oh, that Leo Tolstoy, you know, big Russian author man who writes 3,000 page books, I don't want to do that. Like, this is like 80 pages. Uh, it doesn't take too long to read. You really get a good sense of like what his writing style is about and his strengths shine really quickly. So if that's a good entry point to like Tolstoy. And it's just a good story in and of itself. Awesome. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, the intermittent time between La Urena and now, uh, but this week, we are doing a film by my recommendation. It's called *The Wolf House*. Um, it is a Chilean film released in 2018 by uh, dual dual co-directors filmmakers uh, Cristobal Leon and Joaquin Cosinha. This is uh, a Chile like they're both uh, Chilean filmmakers. It, interestingly, and this will become relevant down the line, it's a Chilean and German production
1: oh Um, interesting
0: (laughs) both of them have or both of those it's mostly chilean they uh i think i would say like chile one germany two and it's uh all stop motion it's all like they did everything by hand and it it, like you can clearly see in the end product it took over it took about five years to make all this and it shows when you see this yeah my my well i'll let you start uh jared what's your experience with this movie
1: no previous experience with this movie. Um, other than this is a movie that you have mentioned in relation to many movies that we've covered over the course of the last six months or so. Um yeah, you've mentioned it many times, I think. Uh comparing Skinamarink to this, mm-hmm. uh comparing Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio in some ways it's just it's come up it's come up in a few of our discussions in a positive light so i've been pretty hyped up for this episode ever since and finally getting to watch it i think kind of lives up to your endorsement know, just your, your endorsement your hype yeah
0: oh and also and Bo is afraid as well because they were they got to work on that too
1: of course that's right yeah wow and watching the extended animated sequence from *Bo is Afraid* is pretty satisfying. Just getting to see what these guys can were capable of with a much much larger budget, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, not mm-hmm. not that uh, not that this movie is lacking in visual splendor by any means. It's just very different.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I am the the resident cheerleader of Wolf House. It's one I'm sure everyone has these like. I don't know, five to ten films that aren't very well known that you just like can't shut up about to your friends and like you're gonna make them all see it no matter what, whether they like it or not. And House <laughs> is definitely on that list of mine. Um, I watched it about I don't know, two years ago. I think it popped up on Mubi. Movie, feel free to sponsor us. And I think I I was captivated by like the preview of it, and cause it if you check out the preview, it's it's so apparent that this is unique from the get-go. I was like, okay, like let's give it a whirl, let's see what it's about. And huh, It like, in the best way possible, ruined my day. Um, (laughs) And that, uh, similar to like you were saying, like the Skinner Marink. very few films have the ability to inspire that level of like dread and ick that something like Wolf House or Skinner Marink has. Because Wolf House, very firmly in the horror genre, not a single jump scare. Like at no point do you actually, are you like, ah, like nothing... There's nothing that uh, operates on that level. Similar, Skin Rink had a couple of what you could call quote unquote traditional jump scares, um, but for the most part, it's just the atmosphere, it's the dread, it's just like this feeling that something is wrong uh, that Wolf House really dabbles in.
1: Yeah, and I think specifically just the the house itself being the title the title character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, just how much character the setting is given is quite similar. Um, other than the apparent, not, not not lack of plot, but just the, that the narrative is not given nearly enough, as, as much weight, rather than your typical movie that you might, you might see.
0: the kids say, this is a vibes-based movie here. Certainly. Um, oh, uh, actually, a major difference between our experiences is you knew the historical context of this film. I yeah. didn't know it going in
1: yeah similar to how we're going to approach our conversation tonight i did quite a bit of reading and learning about colonia dignidad prior to watching the movie and Mm -hmm. i have mixed feelings on if that was a good thing or not so we'll we'll be able to discuss because that's something that's something that you bring up quite quite often um i wanted to point out a couple of things about this movie and it's kind of german production is that this movie was shot not only in traditional kind of animation studios but it was also partially shot at art exhibitions at museums from various cities around the world including one in uh in Hamburg Germany uh mm-hmm. as well as uh in Santiago Chile um but it had its world premiere in Berlin in, oh, 20, in 2018 at the Ber- the Berlin International Film Festival of course so uh just that uh, the that level of intention of German eyes being the first to see this movie is, uh, it speaks volumes as we'll get into.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so, like he said, uh, like Jared just said, like what's what could fundamentally alter how your first viewing of this is your understanding of this real life commune, cult, whatever you want to call it. I've, I've even seen people describe it as like an example of a state within a state, um, called Colonia Dignidad, where I did, um, I did not know anything about this going in. This just looked like a creepy stop-motion fable thing that I just wanted to check out and was interested in. It was only afterward that I researched and, and learned the real historical context that this is coming out of. So uh, if you do not want to know the historical context, if you prefer Jared, uh, if you take Jared's side on it as like, oh, I would have rather gone in blind than skip ahead to, I don't know, we'll put the timestamp in later hey this is dan just interjecting in here from the future over at the editing bay if you don't want to hear about the real historical context around what inspired the wolf house please feel free to hop over to 3200 so 32 minutes right on the nose we should be done with that discussion uh you will hear us making some references over to the real life events that happened but for most of the explicit discussion around that we will be done talking about that at the 32-minute mark. I'm going to give it here a couple seconds just so it lines up properly. About, yeah, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, back to the episode. Um, but yeah, Colonia Dignidad is a real um, existing... Well, we'll get into that. Um, is a real sort of commune that um, uh, existed in uh, rural Chile, uh, that got started in 1961 by this guy named Paul Schaefer. He was uh you know, a German guy, served in the war as a literal Nazi, as something of a medic. He like helped with like uh the stretchers and carrying things back and forth. So he wasn't really uh, you know, doing any of the direct killing or anything like that or carrying out the missions, but he was part of, you know, like the support staff pretty much. Um and after the war, he became uh interested in uh part of the uh the German evangelical free church, and especially the charismatic side of it. So think like, uh, you know, faith healing and communing with spirits and kind of the more- Speaking music- in tongues. Yeah, 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 think, think that fire kind and, of- Fire and brimstone. And it, it also, and then, you know, just, uh, just mix it in with some good old Aryan race ideology as well. There's discussions of like purity and stuff like, in bloodlines and this form of Christianity too. And he, so he was part of that movement. Um, he worked with the uh, their kind of Germany's version of the YMCA and uh, helped with like childcare, helped with daycares and stuff like that. Um, and eventually, um, him he gained like a bit of a, for lack of a better word, cult following. Um, and had and also opened up his own orphanage later uh, in 1953. This stuff all sounds, you know, other than the Nazi bit, like okay, nice uh, preacher man helps kids, except. He got charged with child molestation multiple times. Uh, that's why he left uh, the German YMCA. There were a couple of parents that uh, that were uh, accusing him of uh, child molestation, and they were well-founded accusations. Um, and then it was the same in the orphanage, and that was basically the. From what I was reading, the long and short of it is. The German government was going to go after him, so he fit he with some connections he made. He was high up in the religious community, which has some ties to the political community as well. He found a way to get himself out of Germany into Chile. Uh, you know, a tale all well his time for fleeing Nazis. And so he, when he gets to Chile, he and oh, he also goes uh, there with uh, a bunch of people come with him, and including children. It's not clear how many of them knew what they were in for, or how consensual that was. That how came... many
1: how many uh, came along with their parents or not? Yeah, yeah. This the this is all conjecture <laughs> about what that actually looked like.
0: Um, but they can So they basically uh, set up this Colonia Dignidad, digni, like colony of dignity. Um, yeah,
1: and and I I think actually just referring to it as a colony is really accurate like earlier yeah. like is it yeah, a cult is it a commune just calling it by the name they gave themselves because like uh Schaefer is like a uh, like a one-man colonizing crew <laughs> um interesting like yeah, in, in, in the in the sense of like usual like you know grander sense of the word right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just kind of this this blonde haired, blue-eyed european man just uh steamrolling up a part of Latin America with his ideology and uh, doing atrocious things to the locals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a colonizer and this is his colony.
0: Yeah, actually, yeah, for for the purposes of this, we're just going to call this a colony from here on out, because that actually I think is an apt term here. Um, and yeah, a couple things that will be relevant for their history later. Oh, so they land there in 1961. That's when the colony starts in earnest. Um, it's deeply fundamentalist Christian, so think like Westboro Baptist Church kind of Christian. It's they're very committed to racial purity, which uh, that come, that sort of ideology comes into the film too. Um, and they're also vehemently anti-socialist, anti-communist, which you know they're fascist, So that makes sense. And these three these three pieces combine. Um, kind of set up some of the bones of how the colony was run. So like you, like uh, Jared was saying, uh, Schaefer is sort of the alpha and omega of this whole thing. Um, he also was very obsessed with like sexual purity. Um, the the two, the men and the women couldn't even be near each other. Um, if you wanted to essentially date someone, you had to ask him uh, and he would give you a mate, but not necessarily like a mate of his choosing. And it usually wasn't the one you wanted. Um, he also, uh, which is ironic, too, that he was so, well, maybe not ironic, that while he was so uh, rigid about everyone else being so pure, he was systemically sexually abusing pretty much everyone at the whole colony, like kids, women, I don't know if the adult men, I don't think i read any accusations that, but definitely definitely the children, um, yeah. like really the main atrocity going on there, and like systemically over a long period of time, mm-hmm. and then with things that have cult-like behaviors, um punishments were excruciating oh everyone there that was working on the colony was working for free they're working seven days a week i think they only got one or two days off a year and and punishment for not keeping up with that work schedule were very harsh very draconian but all that being said they kind of operated unencumbered for a long time they did some good uh for lack of a better word pr because they had some health clinics in this rural community that was kind of their uh shining happy face the public face that, that kind of kept them in good graces with the community around there, so they could operate uh, essentially unencumbered, kind of like uh, like a colony or like a like a, a st- pretty much an autonomous state within the state. They really weren't uh, subject to Chilean law at the time. And then this becomes even more relevant when, in 1973, Pinochet or General Pinochet uh, stages a military coup against the democratically elected uh, Salvador Allende, and because Allende was more of a uh, progressive. Uh, uh leader he was i mean you could call him a socialist but at the very least he was at least left-leaning um and pinochet is a fascist so quite different and but quite in line with the people at uh, colonia dignidad so now these are two like schaefer and pinochet are two people who kind of see eye to eye on like what are the problems going on in chile uh, what? How? What are the solutions? And so, if you know much about the uh, general history of Chile, like this is when a lot of the quote-unquote disappearing was going on, and um, it was later brought to light that, like, I don't, I almost want to say hundreds, if not thousands, of people were sent to Colonia Dignidad for being, you know, political dissidents or just disagreeing with the government or being associated with groups that Pinochet pretty much doesn't like, or if just Pinochet didn't really like you, or the, the state didn't really like you, got sent there. And they um they definitely used some of their skills they learned in the 40s in Germany, uh, over there. And uh this this then ties to how we're talking about um how this is a German production too, uh the, the film, but uh, in the actual Colonia Dignidad, it's also pretty, it's pretty suggestive that this colony could not have had the firepower, could not have had the sort of bunkers and Uh, Essentially, equipment that they could have without some help, without some outside help, specifically German arms dealers, uh, war profiteers, people like that. Where um, I was reading, uh, I was reading somewhere they have in in a in a peaceful little like oh also they're like kind of larping Bavarian like they're like pretending they're like Bavarian country folk from like the late 19th century. So they're where like think like sound of music looking shit. Uh, (laughs) So this like cute little Bavarian town, uh, they they uncovered. Machine guns, automatic rifles, and literal grenade launchers in their arsenal. I don't know why a peaceful little colony or farming community needs
1: grenade launchers. Yeah, well, uh, I've I have a theory because one one thing that is uh, fascinating about the way that Schaefer uh, ran the the colony from this perspective of a you know a sexual puritan is uh, yeah he did largely keep the men and the women. A- away from each other, even like brother and sister or, um, Parents and children, parents and children. Yeah. And, uh, over the course of those 30 years, the population of Colonia Dignidad declined uh, because of it. But when he was arrested in the early nineties, he, it appeared that Colonia Dignidad always had a fresh crop of children. Somehow. Uh, So, you know, that all of the horrible implications there, Mm -hmm suggest, you know, uh he was he was providing service to services to someone and in exchange he was being provided children.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh there are I I as far as I can tell, unsubstantiated rumors that he played host to like central Nazi figures like, like uh, Joseph like, Mengele. Joseph Mengele, the you know Auschwitz angel of death, you know, Dr. Death of Auschwitz, um was one of the Kind of the the key guests uh, at Colonia Dignidad at one point or another, but essentially, yeah, all throughout the seventies and 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 most of the eighties, the, it was basically a torture mill for enemies of of Pinochet's dictatorship, as well as just a, a just a nest for for child abuse. Just mm-hmm. basically, like it's just a, a, a literal house of horrors.
0: Yeah, it's like a perfect storm of the worst things that could all come together.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's been the subject of documentaries and books and animated films like this one and live action films and kind of very like various you know points of pop culture have have referenced this place pretty heavily. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that I'd never heard of it prior to prior to now as a student of history and a student of pop culture. Yeah, it's one of one of the more atrocious, one of the more atrocious things I've I've, I've read up yeah, just on a recently. Dark
0: spot on human history, right there. Um, yeah, and I was the same way. I knew nothing. Like I was literally a history major back in the day, and I knew nothing about this. And and to before like just to to to, cl- to close this out so that we can actually get to the movie. Um, yeah, they still exist uh, today. They're just under a different name. It's called uh, Via Bav- Bavaria, it's basically like. Bavarian Via uh Baviera. Baviera. There we go. I'm as you can tell, I'm uh, whiter than snow. Via Baviera. Yeah, basically they just went under a different name. Um they they opened up more, like it's way less of a closed society now. And it's like uh, uh Jared, you'll you'll recognize this as a Washingtonian. It sort of reminds me of like Leavenworth, Washington, where it just it's like this kitschy, hokey Bavarian town where you can go get giant steins of beers and like pretend. You're a German peasant for a little bit, which it's like, you know, maybe maybe it's just best if we just burnt this thing to the ground. I don't know if it needs to stand as a tourist destination anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, someone, one of the, uh, a Chilean local made the comment about Via Baviera that it's like if you installed a McDonald's at Auschwitz.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this, like, grotesque yeah, it's it's truly a stranger than fiction situation about just how like Carnval like evil that this could be that is just sitting there in the Chilean uh, hillsides.
1: yeah, it's a de- it's a, it's more or less a hotel now, mm-hmm. but still run by this colony of people who are, in theory, you know, descended from Schaefer and his disciples. Now, there's a movie I need. I need
0: the shining, but set at that hotel.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that would be too horrifying even for Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick. Hmm.
0: Okay, well that's um so that right there is Colonia Dignidad, and that is what I did not know going into this movie, and that is what Jared did know going into this movie. So with that in mind, Jared, would you like to give us a quick rundown of the plot?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the movie begins with a kind of like documentary film within the film essentially uh informing us that what we're about to see is sort of an unearthed propaganda film from such a re- reclusive cult and that uh they that they with the help of the filmmakers and they named the filmmakers by name uh they've kind of put together uh this film in order to kind of help people understand that some of their criticism comes from a place of ignorance you know the, the way that people criticize the colony uh comes from a place of ignorance so this this film exists to kind of kind of show them the real colony quote unquote
0: unrelated to um, you know that scientology has their own tv station completely unrelated <laughs> <Yeah>. wow
1: <laughs> so uh so yeah we see like a, a short you know just three four minute mockumentary Talking about how what we're going to see is almost like found footage, but it's this animated film that that they use as a uh, kind of a PR piece, as you you called it earlier. And uh, in the animated film, uh, it, it's uh, the the animation is is stop motion, so it's you know it's shot in camera, but it's a combination of a ton of different mediums chalk drawings hand paintings paper mache figures puppets just like bits and pieces of ephemera just like plastic or like you know plastic wrap or uh actual like organic pieces of plants and the materials that are 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 made it's like a mind-boggling array but the the story is that uh, we meet uh, Maria, who they describe as a, as a beautiful but very willful young girl who uh, has been not following the rules of the colony. She she accidentally let some pigs uh, loose, uh, being an agri like a colony of agriculture. That was a big 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 no no. So she escapes this uh, the compound that's uh, uh, not actually called uh Colonia Dignidad in the movie, but if you're familiar with history, you, you can assume that it's Colonia Dignidad. And she's on the run from a wolf who is pretty clearly Paul Schaefer as a wolf. And uh but again, he is not referred to by name. So she finds what she thinks is refuge in a, a house that she finds finds is occupied by a couple of little piggies, perhaps the ones that she accidentally set free. And she decides to Uh, morph them into her children, and so she raises the piggies into human children. And but but before long, she starts to begin to wonder if perhaps she was better off in the mouth of the wolf, and uh, the reasons for that are um pretty chilling. And uh, I'm not sure if we want to spoil them right now because if you if you if you listen to this and go see the movie maybe that might be something that uh you find out for yourself but yeah granted to say she's in uh, she's between a rock and a hard place and that that's basically all the plot and the movie mm-hmm. is not plot heavy uh it's certainly more about the vibes as dan said uh and the artistry but that's it
0: yeah yeah i mean yeah the plot's pretty spare and i think that's it's also it's only 70 minutes it's pretty short and like you said, even within the 70 minutes, the first like five to 10 are just like setting up before going into the, the quote unquote found footage. So what, what I want to ask uh, with that plot in mind, like I think what's most interesting to me about how the plot plays out are the framing devices behind it. Because I think it's interesting, even when you said that, saying how it's like you can surmise that it's colonia dignidad, but they never actually say it. So then it, it starts to make me wonder, like, real-life example, I can think of American contemporary examples, which actually will be, uh, I'll spoil my recommendation later, uh, or for later, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Feels like it does something very similar, where it's like, hey, this definitely isn't about Scientology, everyone. This isn't. yeah, um, Because, I mean, at least I know the state within the American context is like, that's it's very dangerous to outright make a film condemning explicitly scientology it's like there's a long history of uh careers and livelihoods being very seriously threatened by doing that so i'm wondering if this film is kind of operating under similar auspices where you kind of can't outright say it um so you have to go under a couple layers of frames to to kind of cover your own ass almost
1: yeah it it's possible i mean i think that's that's one that's one potential reason for that. Maybe even in modern-day Chile, it is it is dangerous to criticize either these folks in particular or, or you know uh, Pinochet's former dictatorship. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah I'm not sure. But I, I, I have a different take, though, actually.
0: Oh, I, well, that's, that's like not my only thought about it. It just popped in my head as we were talking.
1: I, I feel like fun. there that there is an element that this movie has been intentionally kept a little bit more universal than that. Where I mean there's there's a there's an undercurrent of this movie where regardless of who the oppressors are that this movie goes to incredible lengths to kind of evoke the helplessness that comes with being abused or the way that abusers will displace their guilt or their blame onto the abused gaslight them uh this movie gaslights the audience <laughs> just just the way that that maria is gaslit in the movie yeah you're, um, you're putting into their headspace and and it, it could be anyone it could be anyone who is the victim of childhood sexual abuse it could be that anyone who is the victim of abuse in a relationship or any sort of person who's had an imbalance of power and they've been harmed because of it could potentially uh you know kind of get some catharsis from this movie. So I think it's pretty Hmm. powerful in a way that they don't specifically name Colonia Dignidad. They don't they don't specifically name Paul Schaefer-Schneider, but it's still like you know, if you know if you know the history, you know that there's a lot of subtext in mm-hmm. the movie, there's there's a very complex system of abstract symbols in this movie that make it clear that it's *Colonia Dignidad*. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that foreknowledge, this is still a powerful film about much more universal uh, experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and this goes to—it's one of my least favorite like commentaries when it comes to like discussions on cults or abuse or or just like things of that nature. It's like, how could they be so dumb? How could they not see it? Like, it's so clearly crazy. These people are dumb. It's like, no, that's not like that. That's such an over, like, uh, what's, what's it like it's an unempathetic view of what it's like to be uh, like under the thumb of someone like that. Um, cause like a, a bit I didn't bring up, uh, or I forgot to bring up rather, it's like that was part of their isolation is that the children were only taught German in a Spanish speaking country. So even if you did escape from Colonia Dignidad, like, what are you gonna do like where are you gonna schaefer, go you, yeah
1: schaefer himself didn't speak german because he yeah. didn't have to because yeah he was so in the colon- Sch- excuse me yeah schaefer only spoke german and yeah. uh just like that level of just egotism, like just egoism right like it's so egotistical to like be uh uh essentially an immigrant and just insulate yourself with other Germans, so you like a tiny group of other Germans, so you don't even have to like properly communicate with the locals, it's just like.
0: And it it, it all succeeds to, to create this mood, like what you were saying is like something is wrong, but we don't have the tools to understand what's wrong, which is probably right. exactly how Maria feels in this. Like like she probably has some irking, like there there's like an irking sense of danger that she feels at all times, but she doesn't even have like the sort of like, Cognitive, like she was never given the way to express that or or a way to even think about that because of how insular, like the world of thought that she's been introduced to.
1: Yeah, well, and the and we as the audience aren't given the tools to really right. process it because we've got we're treated to such an over-stimulation in this movie of the various different materials that were used in the animation and just how surreal and unsettling the images are. And uh, it's important to note that this movie is like a faux one It's like mm-hmm. 1917 or The Silent House where it, it is shot to appear to be one extended take. And so we don't get any sort of breathing room, like where it's, it is just like everything on the screen is in constant flux, like characters yeah. are, being made and unmade in front of our eyes, even the three main characters, well, I guess four, because you do see some visualizations of the wolf as well. Mm -hmm. Like even the four main characters, you don't really ever see them look the same twice. Mm. Like you you might see Maria as a painting on the wall and then she unforms, the camera moves and now she reforms as a you know a paper mache figurine mm-hmm. and it, it happens constantly right in front of you where she might be speaking and she's literally being made and unmade in front of us so like we're constantly barraged with like like we're just un- under a constant barrage of just stimulus and uncanny imagery that never lets us get our bearings just the way that someone no. who is under the thumb of this kind of isolation wouldn't either
0: speaking of uh, the uncanny i think uh and I think that's the, what, for me, really helps give this like creepy, uh, just out of reach feeling, is that this is ostensibly um, like a Disney fairy tale, but it's a child molesting Nazis version of what a Disney fairy tale looks like. So it has some bones that you're familiar with, like it's this, on the like we said the the plot was very sparse because it's a very simple parable about like and we've we've seen this story so many times like a, a young person set like rebels against their parents goes out like learns some things and then eventually like trips up and learns that they do still need like you know their loving family or their community to fall back on except this like it has the same story except the community is evil it's rotten um so what at, like the the narrator who's telling the story is from the position of that quote unquote parent Um, and it's just, like, inherently, uh, yeah, an an evil, uh, inhuman person. So when you're watching this sort of dark fairy tale play out, like, it A, I think it kind of goes back to the roots of, like, you know, Brothers Grimm fairy tales that were actually creepy, but then it doubles down. It's like, oh, let's make it even worse, because this is, like, a Nazi's idea of a fairy tale. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's... uh, So this movie clearly... It's like an amalgamation of like a few like specific fairy tales. So we've got elements of like Little Red Riding Hood, and we have elements of the Three Little Pigs, kind of both where you know a wolf is the adversary. Um, A little bit of like Hansel and Gretel, kind of the 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 kids kind of rebelling, going off to the woods and paying the price. But it, it is more like The Three Little Pigs or Little Red Riding Hood. But it's like if uh, the wolf was getting to tell its own version and trying to make itself appear to be the hate hero or the savior, but it's still a wolf, so it's incapable of that.
0: Yeah, it's the only one like, every villain is a hero of their own story.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of that. But like, there's no way that the wolf is going to be able to kind of Pull the wool over our eyes to an extent that we don't see it as a wolf anymore, right? And it's it's in you know the these stories have been they've been used as kind of parables for abuse, uh, kind of warnings against like trusting abusers for a long time. Um, I think of uh, Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim, where the wolf really does have like a sexual interest Mm. in Little Red and that's played up for maximum creep factor and that's kind of the same thing that's going on here except like if the wolf was making its best attempt to try to get us to uh, you know be on his side
0: yeah cuz it's him yeah it's him like explaining to he's trying to explain to like average everyday chileans pretty much like see i'm not so bad like i just want just want to take care of take care of this little girl like she went astray but it's just his right
1: but every just... time every time he speaks he's like Maria, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> oh, it's the, it is the it is the scariest thing in this movie is the way the wolf talks I And think. a
0: small thing i noticed and it was on the second viewing that like because i had all the context at that point and at first i thought that i just struck this up as like oh you know it's like a different time and maybe it's just like more of a european thing but like maria's body is like you see her naked body more than you need to more than i'm like comfortable with for a story especially if a uh if the central viewpoint is that of a child molester
1: yeah well again I'm like the movie is specifically intended to be have been made by that abuser right Mm -hmm. i mean yeah okay but but i will i will i will temper try to temper that comment with the fact that yes like that is true but this movie's version of nudity is like the paper mache is a different color for a few seconds. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, it there's nothing kind of graphic in that way about this movie. No, um, no, it's not. Correct. but but yeah, you are I think intended to interpret that as nudity in in, in this movie's visual language, which mm-hmm. is bizarre to say the least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah, so we, yeah, we've been kind of as a the, the kind of moving forward from like the basic framing device and like how it works within the story because um, going into we've kind of talked about a little bit the style I mean the style is really what brought me to it at first because it's so unique um, that stop motion I've never seen anything like this before Where usually when you're watching stop motion like you know the whole world is constructed down to like the blades of grass and the buildings where this is like it's like augmented on yeah it's augmented onto uh, uh, an abandoned like farmhouse, which is even more interesting that they managed to get that effect because now knowing that like they actually shot this in several different locations where it really does feel like one home, but the the augmentation really allows like a very unique storytelling uh method. And like you said, I was thinking where you're getting hit with so many different symbols and in so many different ways that you are unmoored because by the time you can sit, like you sit there and like, huh okay, when she said that she's painted on the wall, I wonder what that's supposed to kind of mean. Now like eight different things have all come and changed and transformed. And now like you have to like re like your bearing has to get reoriented again. And by the time you do that, it's completely transformed again.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the filmmakers did not want the casual viewer to sit and dissect all of the different symbols, right? They like wanted it to wash over you. Like there the like again, the intentionality behind how every moment unfolds, like the like just the way it's made it like like obviously there's every single like fraction of a second is intentional, but at the same time it's like it, it's happening in in such like an abstract way that yeah, it is a mood piece. But at the same time, if you're going to watch it many times over, you're going to sit and pour over individual frames. You can extract quite a bit of, of meaning from from each. Yeah, like the parts do add up to a whole. They're not arbitrary. They're um, not whatsoever. But at the same time, they the filmmakers have intentionally made it quite impossible for you to uh, really conceive of of all the, of them, and, and even like multiple viewings.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it would almost be like it would almost be beside the point to try and watch with that attitude. Um, and kind of an interesting like uh, interplay is while you're unmoored by all that you're it's also claustrophobic you're stuck in a house the whole time it never goes outside of it so somehow you have no footing but you also feel trapped
1: yeah yeah it's it is very much like rink in that regard <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what uh like. You know, we're talking about all this. Uh, it's, it's all abstract right now that we're, we're talking about this interesting design. Like, what, what's like an example or two that you got? That's like, uh, oh, man, when that happened, I was like, wow, that's cool.
1: Yeah, my favorite one. Okay, so over the course of the movie, and this is something I know you want to talk about, too, so I'll have to kind of tee it up for you. Maria's two piggies, they start off as, as little piggies. They turn into what appear to be chilean children then by the end of the movie they appear to be german children and they've sort of just in a disgusting way that i i don't agree with they've evolved um but anyway the first time you start to see one of the pigs take on anthropomorphic qualities one of the pigs is paint is painted in two dimensions on the wall and it's clearly a pig mm-hmm. and it starts to to its hooves start to become human hands and the painted two-dimensional uh it's almost like a mural of a pig uh with its new hands manages to interact with like a 3d paper mache ball that's occupying mm. the the three-dimensional physical space that's So cool! and uh yeah so like you've got this one medium interacting with another and uh, there's, like, this narrative function of, like, this pig is becoming human. It's becoming more three-dimensional. And uh, they, they take that sort of glow up from the pig and make it real in the 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 world of the animation itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty good example of the way that the narrative kind of, the you know, the, the, the function meets the form in this movie mm-hmm. in a really glorious way.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, so that's a great example of just, like, pretty much like the endless well of creativity these guys were drawing from when it came to visual storytelling. Um, uh, one for me, is just like a quick joke. Um, I think it was like a quick joke that they put in where it's like windows were getting drawn on the walls and you know, like your normal uh, window where it's like a square and it's got the pane in the middle. Usually if, like, if you're gonna doodle that I would draw the square first and then make a little T in the middle, you know? Uh, when you see it being put on the walls, it starts in the image of a swastika and then it goes out to the window. I'm like, Hey, I, I, I see what you're doing there.
1: Yeah. Um, It's blinking. You miss it too, but it's quite clear.
0: (laughs) Um, but the one, and I thought this was just overall as like a sequence What like astounded me, was, um, spoilers. I mean, it's, it's not plot heavy, but spoilers nonetheless is eventually, you know, they run out of food. And the pigs are, or the little pig children, I guess now they're children children, are uh They are now the, white children. Yeah, they're little Aryan children. They tie up Maria to eat her. And um Maria is just tied up and like you're seeing like the ropes be created and like wrapping around her like tendrils, which is really cool. And then the moment um and as it's like building, like you know, the everything around her is getting built, and by the time that the gag gets built, all of a sudden uh she never could talk at any point actually so it kind of the story kind of goes back and revises that like all the th- when she was like pleading with them and trying to talk with them it turns out it was falling on deaf ears the whole time once the gag goes in uh they like the dialogue now changes as if they never could hear what she was saying and i was like oh that's really that's a really cool like expression right there
1: well and they managed to make that abundantly clear in the context of like a again, a like stop motion, almost, you know, claymation, paper mache animation that appears to be a one shot, right? So like, they're not flashing back and like reframing it in like the the classic, like, oh, we're watching a movie. And now we now a twist has happened. We see a flashback and, you know, the rug is pulled out. Now it like manages to like continue on with just the single shot and with like, kind of the single trajectory of narrative, but all of that is clear because of the way that it's animated or unanimated in front of us
0: yeah it does for lack of a better word you know like when people say like especially scorsese's note like oh that mo- film just moves it's just got like momentum it's like this one's mm-hmm. the whole time it's like it's moving but it's just like kind of just you know wriggling the whole time
1: yeah and a lot of the times uh that movement in movies is kind of literal, like in Western movies, there's actually like always a ton of like left to right movement. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't really like you're not conscious of it as a viewer, you kind of feel momentum because just visual language in the West dictates that left to right is movement forward Mm -hmm. Um, in Korean cinema. We talked about this when we were talking about decision to leave. Oftentimes that's it's um, it's more vertical movement like in like you see a lot of characters climbing or descending um and in this movie it's like zooms in zooms out left to right right to left up and down characters dissolving in front of you you know recorporating in front of you it, it, but it still manages to feel like momentum even if it's chaos
0: and again it serves the momentum serves to um I keep saying the word but like unmoor you to to make you uncertain about where it's going next or where it could go. Cause yeah, it's like, but but within 20, 30 minutes you're like aware that like anything is possible in this movie, like anything could happen or visually could happen. Um, Nothing's off the table. And so, um, and that that gets me uh, an interesting part of the story I think kind of going back to the folklore is like there's so many stories within the story um, and there's a lot of parables that kind of that you can start to sniff out some of like the ideology of the narrator and uh the one that like we uh, you mentioned too it's like the children they start as pigs and then they evolve to what look like indigenous Chileans and then they evolve again oh and then they have that what's important is they have the honey um that is created by the colony um that kind of the opening bit is like an ad for the colony's honey i was like oh yeah. fresh, natural
1: it's like a has a logo and everything
0: yeah yeah And when they
1: try the colony's honey,
0: which is like it weird, like loops back to like an ad for their honey. Um, The children go from uh, indigenous-looking to Aryan-looking, and it says, um, "Oh, I wrote. I think I wrote exactly." Um, It it says it like specifically. I think it says something like they become like better, like stronger, healthier. Oh, there was a scene where uh, the kids there's a fire, and that's what turns Mm -hmm. the kids dark. And so for them, that was a mark of damage to have dark skin to look burnt.
1: Well, and when they consume the honey, they like they essentially like are vomit heat. out all of their darkness. Yeah, like, it's literally like you know, like they're like they're kind of ash. They're like ashen and becoming white, and all the darkness is like pouring out of their eyes and their mouths. And,
0: and it's like it's like you know, baby's first lesson in race science, pretty much, where it's like not outright saying like, oh, you know, the dirty Chileans are bad and the Aryans are good. It's just like. And, and that's what folklore does, not race science necessarily, but it, it teaches like very basic lessons about the world for children that children can understand. And this lesson is that Aryan or blonde white children are better, and that to be dark is a sign of evil.
1: Well, and, and it's no no accident at all that the folklore, the fairy tales that are used in this are distinctly European. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's sort of an act as an invasion of Chile. Mm, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's an overlay, or a, not an, even an overlaying. It's just a, a an erasing of like Chilean cult, or Chilean ways of storytelling, and just plopping European ways of storytelling right on right on it and says like this is the only way. It's kind of like you know, oh, we didn't we didn't colonize this place. There's no one here when we found this place. Kind of history,
1: right? Yeah, it's kind of a, an amazing exercise in really the darkest corners of empathy that, uh, these Chilean filmmakers kind of were able to so deftly embody the perspective of a Nazi bringing European folklore to Chile and using it to teach the Chileans a lesson. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's remarkable that they were able to enter that headspace to such an extent where they're so, it's like, yeah, it's like they were, they were just like, you know, empathizing with the perspective of this monster.
0: And going, uh, kind of looping in with that is, you know, the stories that are chosen. Like in theory, he, I assume the wolf is the director. I'm just acting as if he's the main, like whoever yeah. is playing the voice of the wolf, he's a stand-in for Schaefer. He's in the world of this movie. He was the one who directed all this and wrote all this and, and pretty much set it off. And I think the most interesting story is the one that combines this kind of like uh, European folklore, Nazi race ideology, and then kind of Christian storytelling kind of whirl together in the story with uh, the apple and the tree and how the the, the apple is a symbol is like, traditionally, you know, young girl gets an apple from a tree. You're thinking the garden of Eden. You're thinking that she gets, um, you know, they get the ability to see good and evil and to consider a bad thing. And you see this as like, you know, the original sin. And you're seeing that play out again in one of the parables that's told within the story that uh, Maria, her the reason why she can start kind of forging out on her own and even like transforming pigs and stuff, it's implied that she got this apple from a tree. And the way that she got the apple from the tree is she essentially fed it a bunch of like woodland creatures on accident, or like uh, herded them into it, and the tree thanked her with this apple. And so it's kind of this interesting combo of like, Grimm's fairy tales and biblical storytelling together for the purpose of Nazi race science.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we, we literally, like our main character is this, you know, you know, implied to be kind of sexually pure mother named Mary.
0: <laughs> well, and also never forget that, like, for some reason, racists uh, are really particularly concerned about their white women that's always like the most precious thing to them. Great, right. yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but I had the hardest time uh, landing on when this was supposed to be shot given the objects around them. Um, Cause randomly it felt like a very um, like set, I don't know, originally I would've thought it was probably set in like the seventies or the sixties or something like that uh, based on the kind yeah. of the the style of the film. But then you saw objects that were modern-day objects. Like, I saw Super Nintendo at one point. I saw one of those, like, uh, tower fans that, like, um, yeah contemporary to our own oh. time. Um, and it's, like, purposely unmooring. Unmooring, I guess that's the mm. word today here. Um, your sense of, like, when is this going on?
1: Well, it feels intentional to me because, like, Schaefer intentionally um sort of froze the colony in like 50 in the 50s right like he froze it in like the 50s or early 60s well, he culture. Froze it even earlier like and, he was
0: trying to recreate like tw- turn of the right. century rural life
1: right right but like maria has escaped to uh you know a house of heathens and uh mm-hmm. i would assume that this would take place Closer to the end of Schaefer's reign so like the early 90s 19- sometime between like 1991 and 1996 or so and he was arrested mm. Which you know have a Super Nintendo would not be anachronistic at all
0: Well, but then there's things that are contemporary to our time um, that I see there. Oh like, like what like like I said, there's like a, a um, an air conditioning tower That it was a particular model that I recognized as like, you know, the kind I had in college Um, Or those didn't exist in like
1: 1995.
0: I mean, I never knew or saw them. I would have to go back and look at the specific, like, the one it specifically looked like. But, like, my impression when I saw it is like, this is a modern, like, to the films time, or like a a 2018 style AC unit.
1: Yeah, interesting. I I would like to to see that if you are able to grab, do a screen grab at some point
0: there's so much imagery flying at it at yeah um, i didn't yeah moment. i
1: i didn't personally catch catch that in either of my viewings this week and, and, it, and it, I, it actually, I actually wa- i've watched the movie since reading your outline mm. oh, um oh, interesting. so uh yeah i mean i i'd love to see that um because again like this movie is so like this movie was so it made so intentionally made <laughs> Uh so like painstaking in the the detail, of the animation that you know it'd be clearly no accident if there is something anachronistic in here.
0: And I could see that as a kind of a commentary on like like you said, like to universalize a little bit where it's like these the sorts of dynamics that result in a colonia dignidad are not gone at all. Um so this is still a problem that lives with us today.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, we talked about, you know, the race science behind it and how, um, yeah, the progression and the evolution that Germans are seeing as the highest. Um, Yeah. We keep talking about like the symbols and the motifs. Um, There are a few that come up uh, like in spades um, over and over. And I think uh, the big one, I mean, for obvious reasons, eyes. You're always seeing eyes. The wolf at times is portrayed as simply just a giant eye. Like I remember I saw one time, which like, it, it really wet, uh, puts you in Maria's headspace really well, where the eye is like staring, like almost like a Big Brother 1984 eyeball. And even when it blinks, you can still see the iris behind the <laughs> eyelid. But, like, yeah. Even when eyes are closed, it's still watching you.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot to unpack there. I feel like, it, again, that's like another symbol of just the the way that guilt or blame is displaced from the abuser to the abused. And like, mm-hmm. just, you know, if you're feeling surveilled at all times, you're going to start to feel guilty at all times. And, uh, I think that's kind of central to what Maria is experiencing. And, uh, yeah, I think it happens kind of similarly where the children will have eyes that watch her and, but she'll be animated without them. And, um, Yeah, I think that that's certainly a a motif.
0: Yeah, we we talked about apples are another big one. We talked about well, even calling the like calling yourself like making a story about you saving a little girl and calling yourself the wolf is like a very strange symbolic choice. There, like it makes sense from where we're sitting because like he's a wolf, he's a predator, he's a threatening presence. But I think he sees himself as like a protective presence like a violent one one that will uh that is willing to harm to get what he wants but one that ultimately like quote-unquote has the best interests at heart so that's why the this narrator is is kind of comfortable with calling himself a wolf which like in you know in european um symbology would be a threatening presence
1: yeah yeah it's just like the lack of self-awareness is is like Kind of, it's humorous in a really dark way. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like these filmmakers, like these Chilean filmmakers were embodying this monstrous German uh, abuser, but like they were cheeky enough to make him really bad at appearing to be a good guy. <laughs> there is, um, there's
0: something weirdly farcical about the yeah. character of the wolf nothing you're at, like ha at but like yeah there's like a twisted comedy about it
1: yeah just again like uh like if he's he's meant to have created this piece of art to get us to uh relate to him or or view him as the savior well, but but it, literally he's like muddy. Like, it's, <laughs> it's ultimately a
0: recruitment video Like, at the end, like, that's where it wraps up. He's like, oh, so now that you know more about us, like, and it's the last line just gave me the willies where it's like, do you want me to take care of you? That's what he asks at the end. Like, so it's a, it's ultimately a recruitment video. So he's trying to portray himself in the most, like, like the most benevolent light he can and it just fails.
1: Yeah. But what we actually see is one of the creepiest fucking things you'll ever see in your life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's why I, I guess we can expound on this too. It's like that's why I think I'm uh, I would have wanted to know about Colonia Dignidad going into this, but you say the other way around. And why do you? Yeah, say
1: that? yeah. I, and this is I think my biggest cr- criticism about this movie, and maybe why it even kind of veers into the territory of me overall not recommending it, huh. um, is that. i I went into it with so much baggage of being like this is gonna be this movie is gonna be like an indictment of this this one thing and this will kind of go back to like uh last week's movie la llorona um where like i was kind of viewing it and i was i was i was going in expecting it to be like a similar light where it's like took a very very specific piece of history specific atrocity and like indicted it in one way or another Mm -hmm. where the movie's less concerned about that. And again, it goes back to like my comment of like, this movie kind of actually keeps things open-ended. So it can kind of be in a, a a universal kind of meditation on like the experience of this sort of abuse. I think because of that, it gets like, it goes all the way into just a mood piece. Like everything is abstracted. Like everything is a symbol, but what this movie doesn't have is like an emotional center or like a, a through line of growth or um, anything, any any sort of catharsis, or I don't want to say hope because like this movie doesn't need hope. Like this movie no. is not about hope, but it, it doesn't have much like humanity left for you to sort of grasp onto and well, like feel. It's what I, uh What I would suggest is, uh, and I agree, like um, there's
0: no, I mean, I guess the the little piggies uh, have growth and change. But like, I think the main like dynamic feature of the narrative is you, the audience, as you're you're learning more, it's uncovering. Like, you're kind of the one. Like, you're you're indicted in this film when you're watching it and how you feel about it. And when you like, as you're discovering, really at your own pace because it's so abstract. Like, you kind you have to work to uncover exactly what's going on. And then I mm-hmm. think by the time like. very end offer is like do you want me to take care of you it's like it's very clear and it finally like it's like it's almost like hey for those who didn't get it this entire movie here's what it's about here you go so and i think it's that uh, experience as the viewer because like this is not this is not what i would call a commercial film it's not one that you're gonna go in and, and expect
1: you know, no, it's 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 a surreal art film. It's like Skin and Rink in that regard where, mm-hmm. and maybe this makes me a hypocrite because I think mm-hmm. we talked at incredible lengths about how I loved Skin and Rink because it didn't have that sort of emotional through line. With this being about a real thing that harmed real people mm-hmm. and it just kind of taking this extraordinarily abstract point of view on it, like I appreciated it. Like, and I appreciate the mood it it created. I appreciated like how unsettling it was. I appreciated the artistry, the animation. But I don't think I would like recommend it to like anyone who wasn't like utterly just prepared for an art film.
0: Oh yeah. No, yeah. I'm not like I didn't call it my mom after I saw, it. I, was, oh, I saw a great movie, mom. Like give it a whirl. Yeah, this is definitely for like, you know, the the
1: weird art house kids. Yeah, even like my weird artsy friends, there's like there's still like a specific subset of them that I would recommend it to.
0: But I don't think our and I don't think you're implying this either, but I don't I wouldn't say that the movie then uh, fails in a regard uh, no no uh,
1: no absolutely not no this movie <laughs> uh is like 10 out of 10 for what it ain't it set out to do or what i what i perceived as what it set out to do but it's uh it, it, it is missing things that i typically place a lot of value on in movies
0: okay okay yeah it, there's a difference between like yeah personally appreciating enjoying something and something that you would go out and immediately recommend half <laughs> the world
1: yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, like it's uh, if like, let's say this was an academic setting and this was like what my students turned in for their master thesis. I'd been like 10 out of 10. You did it. <laughs> if I made this myself for myself, I'd be disappointed in myself.
0: Really? Huh? Yeah. Cause I I mean, I think what you're saying was it's abstracted away and that it's about, re- that's interesting that like you're saying because it's about relevance and Skidmerink is not, I mean, it is in a way that like, you know, it's Kyle Edward Ball's, childhood experiences to an extent i mean you know not literally but because this is about a real colony that uh suffered that like had real atrocities going on and by you think it's like by going abstract in that way and kind of not nailing down uh, a specific
1: stance you are would you say it's almost irresponsible no and i don't think that any filmmaker has the responsibility of documenting reality or taking a stance on things Well, uh, although like it's very clear that this filmmaker's stance is that you know paul schaefer was a monster and a madman well and also but,
0: uh, we, we only talked about that quickly that like it said like oh this psa for colonia dignidad was um was funded by the chilean government
1: we yeah. also moved them in yeah, that's a pre- that's a pretty cheeky thing, and it's like it's one of those things that actually I'd I'd love to know the reason for. I, I can guess what the reason for it, this is, but if and like outside of Hollywood or Bollywood, if you ever see any movie that's you know not made in India or the U.S., basically in the opening credits you'll see that it got kind of funding from its local government, right? And it's so like obviously like you know like some like some like. uh federally funded artistic council in Chile gave this movie some money. So it's just kind of like cheeky that they put in the opening credits. Like this is, this was funded by the Chilean government because it's like another like quick jab at like the former dictatorship in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause it could be literally true. And just within the, the the rules of this movie, it's just like, Oh, the Chilean government sponsored Colonia Dignidad.
0: Yeah. And then the irony that in real life, the German government uh helped make wolf house when right actually the german government even i forget the specifics so i'll have to speak in vagaries but basically they admitted fault uh not like in the recent past over responsibility for colonial dignity not existing in the first place
1: yeah yeah the the germans are uh are good at at admitting fault in the the darkest parts of their history for sure Mm -hmm. unlike the americans or i would say maybe the japanese Mm -hmm. um uh, no, we're we're still we're still the the, the good kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and I I don't want to come across at all that I didn't like this movie. I just think that there is a world where the kind of opening salvo and the and the coda in this movie just don't exist, right? The like kind of the meta, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mockumentary portions just don't exist, and you're still left with a really amazing dark twisted take on European fairy tales as a symbol for kind of surviving abuse or getting, being gaslit by abusers. That's like mm. almost just as powerful without the historical context. And you might, you could probably wrap whatever mockumentary segment at the beginning of this movie, you know uh, you know, you could attribute it. You could, you could put, you could make it about, the trail of tears and the wolf is andrew jackson you could make it about a huge number of things and it wouldn't change kind of the content of like 99 of the story and so it's I, I i don't get like an emotional through line for like the actual real life horrors like i think this movie doesn't quite carry the weight of the real life horrors that bore it Oh. And, and it doesn't need to like it's yeah, like there's yeah, yeah. no there's nothing that that like makes the filmmakers responsible for actually kind of connecting those things in any way that isn't abstract. It's just you wished it would have. I wished it would have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's interesting cuz like at least I like I felt that but that you know it turns out art is subjective kids. Cuz yeah, I felt very much in the headspace and it is such an act of empathy um for mostly for Maria's character but then It does like, and and it's so hard to do is like, it is an act of empathy to embody the wolf's shoes and kind of speak from his perspective. Um, And it didn't, like it made him clearly a villain, but it made him one with his reasons. um, And his reasons were at least within the world of the wolf were at least coherent to him. Which made it very fascinating, because it, and that's what made it so scared, like uncomfortable to me. Is like this all made sense. It had a logic that did tie together, yeah. but its logic was so grotesque that when you see it played out on screen, it's terrifying.
1: Yeah, it's like objectively terrifying, even if the movie is made with this like subjective lens of the villain. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: yeah no it's it's brilliant stuff like don't get me wrong like i still think like my if i'm like you know since like we we kind of have to quantify this because we kind of post everything on letterbox to me this is still like a four out of five
0: yeah 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 yeah. we're not yeah i, I don't uh i don't mean to imply that you're like no eh, i didn't like it because it didn't like step no. back and say hey nazis are
1: bad guys no i did i just had to i had to dig pretty deep to like find something that would have made this movie even better for me and that uh-huh. that's that's the thing Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's a fairly big thing for me, but no, this movie is, uh, is, uh, is masterful from an artistic standpoint and it's unique and it's, it is unsettling. It's scary in a way that is unique. And, um, clearly a, a huge labor of love. I mean, just like, w- watching a work like this unfold, like the medium itself just kind of forces you to consider all the time and the tension that went into it. And, uh, even like, you know compared to other stop motion or other claymation it's just like it's very it's very very detailed even compared to like <laughs> what was that uh that letterboxd review or someone was like yeah, I thought this was chicken run and it's not chicken run <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like even compared to like uh, you know a lot like uh, you know Nightmare Before Christmas, Chicken Run, like any of the like kind of mainstream like claymation or stop motion stuff that you might be familiar with, this movie is like chock to the brim with detail. The only the only movie I can think of where it's like wow, like clearly like a lot more attention to detail went into it uh, I can think of is Pinocchio.
0: Oh, so, that, like, yeah, I saw a tweet uh, earlier that Guillermo del Toro does not intend intends only work within animation from here on out.
1: Good for him. Yeah, I'm here for uh, it. I hope, I hope that he um, finally gets to do his Lovecraft adaptation uh, oh, as an animated wow. film. That would be amazing. Okay. Um, but yeah, that like one of my recommendations. In fact, yeah, would definitely be just be Pinocchio. Like, if you want an example of a movie that you know somehow managed to like even put more time and detailed effort into the stop motion than this movie does. Yeah, it's one of the only examples uh, p- possible like this and one of your recommendations kind of come to mind, mm-hmm. but yeah, like, I mean, this movie took five years to make Pinocchio took 15 and and it shows in both ways. Right.
0: Uh, and I, I just want to comment once on like kind of the difference between those two is like Pinocchio is so well constructed in its kind of minutia. And it's like the, the precision and like the the tiny details where uh, the wolf house is deliberately rough around the edges like there are yeah. a couple shots if you're looking closely you could see the directors like holding People mm-hmm. into, like a frame and then they flash it out You can see yeah. the wires that are holding hands up and down at certain points You can see rigs moving and I think that like that roughness only adds to the atmosphere of it all um,
1: One thousand percent. Yeah, um, and even like,
0: you know, the paper mache and most of the drawings like they're kind of like, uh, like to a uh, casual observer, they're amateurish. They don't look very clean and polished. But that adds to the the world of the film, where it's like within the logic of the film, like the people of Colonia Dignidad made this, so of course they wouldn't make very uh, detailed and like Guillermo del Toro tier. Uh, yeah, stum- no,
1: it was literally like uh, you know this uh, below average intelligence but very high charisma, you know, Nazi forcing like children to animate the thing <laughs> yeah yeah and then that can, that can go back to like
0: you know if you have essentially slave labor they only give two days off a year or two you can get a lot done
1: yeah but they're gonna be ass at claymation
0: yeah yeah <laughs> um so one and then i'll let you go to another recommendation that you mentioned before or before we recorded that'll be interesting but my my first recommendation i said it's the master because it's doing something very similar where it's talking about a real life, cultish sort of uh, organization, but it's like, quote unquote, definitely not talking about it. But by, by, interestingly, by not talking about it, you're focusing on the more like human aspect or the more broad aspect of why People, why are they attracted to the, or what what attracts them into this in the first place? How does this sort of mental prison get built within someone? Where you know the master does it with with an adult man, which that that takes a different dynamic than a child. But they share these similar bones of just like a very uh, focusing on the like. Uh, I mean, you say it wasn't there, but I I really found it like the emotional core of how this operates uh, especially within interpersonal relationships like what i what i'm thinking of is that really great scene the master between joaquin phoenix and philip seymour hoffman where they're doing the like like the uh the questioning in the interview thing and just like sitting in that moment with them like you you don't get it like you can get it you get the logic you get like why someone's uh why philip seymour hoffman could overpower someone with his charisma and presence if someone was you know uh suggestible to that
1: yeah, yeah. And I think similarly to the wolf in this uh, high charisma, but not necessarily high intelligence. Um, I, mean,
0: I would argue a very, like, necessarily a high level of intelligence in both of them. Like, they're very...
1: Well, there, there's an emotional intelligence inherent to being that enigmatic of a leader. But I guess that... I, th- I think it both in both examples, there are, like, moments that kind of betray, like... That it it wouldn't stand up to scrutiny by people that he didn't specifically target to Mm. like fall for it Mm. uh i mean we we should actually just do the master because uh that would be a a, that'd be a fantastic way to spend like five hours talking about a movie yeah for real um yeah
0: so what was the one that you said uh well you have in the notes i don't know exactly what these mean dh's work
1: yeah um so First of all, I want to point out that um, there is a a movie that's just called The Colony or La Colonia or sometimes it's actually referred to Colonia Dignidad from 2015 starring Emma Watson and Daniel Bruhl uh, that it takes the exact opposite kind of uh, kind of. Uh, style and execution of kind of talking about the same thing as this movie does. So in that movie, that movie's just all the way, just literal, you know, a a guy gets basically like abducted by colonia Dignidad and like Paul Schaefer is a character in the movie that gets, you know, that is, you know, played by an actor and like, he's the villain. And it's about like Emma Watson's kind of like mission to try to like kind of expose the colony and like save her, her, her like partner or her friend. Mm. It's from 2015 and I was like, oh, okay. Like so you know, here just I, I I looked at it like, hey, here's another example of a movie that is about the same thing. Let me just like watch it or to to kind of compare. And man, it is bad. Wow. Like it's it so it does the thing that I like. So I wish like there was some sort of emotional through line that was a little bit less abstract, right? This movie goes like the complete opposite. It's like <laughs> is like this movie is like so ham fisted and like just like outright like disrespectful. It's like if someone made a Holocaust movie and its tone was like borderline like like MCU. Like 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 not not quippy, but like it, it plays it so straight and like a like a like flashy kind of like larger budget. It's um, like a like a thriller. Like it's like a Hollywood type of thriller. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is not good at all. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I I didn't finish watching it. I started like kind of just fast forwarding through it. But if you do want to like see just like a very by the like paint by numbers version of like, here's a a movie about Colonia Dignidad, uh, go ahead and check out The Colony. I do Um, wonder,
0: though, if Wolf House didn't exist and this was the only movie you knew about Colonia Dignidad, if it would be
1: better. No, I mean, I think it's just a bad movie. Like, the writing is (laughs) bad and the acting is bad. Um, I think it's pretty much universally disliked by audiences and critics alike. Mm. Yes, but, I mean, and it's got, like, really good actors in it. Like, Daniel Broll is, like, pretty damn good actor. It's got Vicky Crepes in it. Uh, and like the only thing I've seen her in besides Phantom Thread, I think. Mm. Oh no, no, she was in she was in old she was in that I that Shyamalan movie as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's got like a lot of talent in it, and it's uh, it is not good. But uh, what I do want to make sure that I recommend is uh, the work of of Don Hertzfeld that you know, I know you and I have talked about. Oh, interesting. Okay. You and I have talked about before. Uh, And the reason I would recommend it is, and I think I'll point out world of tomorrow specifically Hmm. Uh, world of tomorrow is a short is a short from 2015 or 2016. that was nominated for the best animated short Oscar that year. And I believe he actually expanded it into more than a short later on, or like gave it another episode or something like that. Um, But Hertzfeld's animation style is like also intentionally rough around the edges where, you kind of see the animation happening while you're watching it. Right. And like mistakes get made and get like reversed and like crossed out or like characters sort of morph and uh amorph throughout throughout his work. And uh kind of also gives the impression of like this sort of childlike pure like pureness, you know. Mm-hmm. So like his messages come through all the clearer because of it. But World of Tomorrow also like has this vibe of like Uh, this tongue-in-cheek like it was created by some big force that's trying to kind of get you to buy in to like this life-sustaining technology that might happen in the future but the whole time you just see it malfunction and fuck up and it it does a similar thing where it's like it kind of has this lens of like this was made by as like sort of propaganda to make this one thing look amazing but then you see it just sort of you know, crumble before your eyes. And, the, the, anim- bigger and, bigger. and the, yeah, the animators couldn't quite like make you not see the seams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that movie has just like a fucking emotional wallop or two to it as well. And it, it's like 20 minutes long or something, or maybe even less than that. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I think there's a lot of, uh, shared DNA, but a very, very different movie, but, uh, similar in certain ways. And I really love it, hmm. uh, even more than this movie. So
0: yeah, it's an yeah. interesting, uh, like, I thought about that too when I was like, you know, I was like scanning through or thinking about movies. Like, okay, what's like some movies I should recommend? And I was thinking about, you know, kind of uh, more left of center avant-garde type animation. And I thought of Don Hertzfeld. I'm like, I don't know if I can connect those two. So when you said that, I'm like, ooh, I'm really interested to see uh, where you made that connective tissue. Yeah, how, how did I do? Good. Well, yeah, I was like, once you said the kind of the false propaganda. Uh, or the pseudo-propaganda film, like, oh yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. Um, my uh, second recommendation, where I don't know if I've said this explicitly or not, I try to make two, one from something that was made since I was born, and one that was made before I was born, just to try and keep some nice variety. Um, so the one from before I was born is uh, La Planète Sauvage, uh, The Fantastic Planet. It's like, or Fantastic Planet, there's no the in the English translation, and it's like, you know, the classical example of just some, like, bonkers, interesting, um, non-traditional animation, and it it shares, so it shares that with um, Wolf House just in its form, but then its content, too, where it's like, it's kind of a rather simple parable, but it's made much richer by its form, by its uh, symbolism, and by... Um, kind of some of the real world parallels that you could map it onto, or that like the symbols are rich to look at. I mean, it, it's a pretty there's you know a very uh, technologically ex- advanced form of life beings that are essentially keeping human beings as pets because they're lower animals, and you're seeing the you know the the lower animals' attempts at freedom and liberation. It's like, huh? I well, it's a good thing that has never happened once in uh, human history, so. It's a completely alien story to me i guess
1: <laughs> man i i uh, you've you mentioned fantastic planet i think a couple of times now as well i think you've recommended it once before yeah uh, we, i think i think it you did you i forgot for wit, i forget for which movie you i think it was one of your official recommendations on one one of one episode or it might have been before we started recording but mm. yeah so that's twice now that you recommended it i think we're you know, it's following now this trajectory in my mind of like like the Wolf House, uh, <laughs> where we should probably just add it to the uh, to the queue at this point, since you've recommended it more than once.
0: I need to I need to start keeping a list of the things I recommend because I like I try to keep it varied so that I don't keep just recommending the same thing over and over. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, that that kind of wraps up all the points I wanted to hit on. Do you have anything else before we introduce next week's film?
1: <laughs> all right. Well, for concessions, I'm Jared.
0: And I'm Dan, and once again, I ask you all, will you let us
1: take care of you? I want you to be my eternal uncle.